Hi everyone and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host Dr. Shadi Manucheri and today's episode is all about guided biofilm therapy and implants with Louise Warden. This episode is very kindly brought to you by EMS and now without further ado, let's get into it. Hi Louise, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Really good, thanks. How are you? Very well, thank you. This is a very interesting topic for us to talk about. And of course, it's very relevant to the kind of treatments that we are doing now day to day. Before we get into that, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got here, please? Yes, yeah, so I left school um, and I went and started working as a dental nurse. And that's how I kind of entered into dentistry. Um, that was partly just kind of by accident that I ended up into doing that. So I was going to go and do architecture. Uh, and then it ended up, I didn't do that, I ended up working as a dental nurse and I decided I actually really enjoyed it. And from there, I worked with a hygienist in the practice for a number of years. So I decided I would go and study dental hygiene. So I qualified as a hygienist in 2004 from Glasgow. And since then, I've worked in a practice called the Scottish Centre for Excellence in Dentistry, which is a long title, so we call it SCED for short. Um, I've worked here since 2008, so that's where I've really gained kind of a lot of my experience because it's a multidisciplinary clinic, mainly a referral-based clinic um, for things like implants. So my kind of all my implant experiences has come through working with various clinicians there. Um, I've also trained in facial aesthetics, which was around about 2015, just as an extra thing to do in the clinic. Um, I'm also a Swiss Dental Academy trainer, which I work with EMS, helping train other practitioners um, to use GBT. And also do some work with the ITI, which is the International Team for Implantology. Um, and I'm a study club director for the hygiene group there um, and also an ambassador for them. So we're just trying to grow the ITI so that more hygiene and therapists can be trained in dental implants. So that's pretty much my kind of working life has been dentistry. Um, outside of that, I'm married to Alex and I've got two wee boys who are 10 and 12, Max and Leo. So I'm generally pretty busy. Your life sounds very busy. Yeah. <laughs> But good busy. So tell me, in terms of your um, clinical work, what do you tend most? Of, what do you tend to do with most of your clinical time? What type of uh, treatments do you usually provide? Is it generalized hygiene, or is it more specific to a certain type of treatment? So it's generally quite a mix and um, day to day. But I'd say I was thinking about this earlier. I'd say you know on my kind of longer clinic days, probably half of the patients I see do have implants. So because of the type of clinic we are, so. A lot of it is patients with new implants that we are giving them oral hygiene instruction, or it can be implants that are there that maybe are having issues that we need to treat. And then the rest of the time, I can have a mix between just general patients just coming for a general hygiene visit. And then we do also get quite advanced periodontal referrals um, that the periodontists will see. So I'll work with them and they will send that one to us to do kind of advanced non-surgical uh, treatment for us. So it is pretty mixed, but I'd say it's more down the line of advanced periodontal and implant problems than just kind of your day-to-day patients. Sure. And have you found that when it comes to implants, there is an emerging problem of uh, periimplantitis or have you found that that's not the case? Well, I think when you look at any of the kind of research papers, they will tell you that, you know, implantitis is an emerging problem. And I think that that can sound quite scary, but really I think that's down to a couple of reasons that you know, more dentists are placing implants, more dentists are training to place them and want to place them um, in their careers. 
and also more patients are wanting to get implants. So, you know, patients lose a tooth, maybe through an accident or periodontal disease, they want that replaced and they want it replaced with an implant. So there's more and more implants getting placed. So because of that, there is going to be, when you look at any studies, there's going to be a higher risk of implant disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look at the kind of numbers, they're saying that, you know, it's estimated about 40% for mucositis um, and 20% for implantitis if you get implants. So they are quite high numbers, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's an emerging problem as in, oh, something suddenly went wrong. It's just mm-hmm. that we are seeing a lot more patients with implants. But that does show, obviously, that we then have to treat those. We have to stop those diseases happening. So it's a role that, you know, as hygienists and therapists, we need to, to look at and be educated in. Mm-hmm. And based on the research, have you found that there are specific types of implants that suffer with these problems? Or is it pretty much the same across the board? So I would say it's pretty much the same across the board. Um, you know, I work with dentists that use different systems of implants and you know through the ITI um, you see different systems there and it really does very much depend on how the implants are placed so you know very good clinician experience will make a difference um, and obviously there is different systems that people can use but it doesn't I wouldn't say that one over another um, would, would stop any disease there but there's there's just so many factors with implant disease that with the patient that you know the same as teeth there's so many different factors that can cause it that it's, it's it can almost be quite a complicated um topic when you look into it because there's not always a black and white with it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see and um we know that obviously over the last few years the role of the hygienists and therapists have changed a lot they've grown a lot in the way um you know the structure is within the dental practices um would you say the role of hygienists and therapists has changed in recent years in the way of dealing with um issues like periimplantitis of course we spoke about the fact that um you know now more and more implants are being picked, placed both from a um you know clinicians wanting to do the treatment and patients seeking that kind of treatment as well but in terms of the role of the hygienist or the therapist what would you say is their is their contribution to um to implant treatments by patients yeah, so I think, as you said, it's kind of, it, it's changed recently, which is only a good thing. Um, and it, because of implant diseases, we need hygienists and therapists, you know, and de- dentists as well to be educated in, in the classification. And since the, 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 the classification in 2017, where we classified periodontal disease, that was when they brought in the implant classification. Mm-hmm. So, which is, is fantastic because for a long time, we probably weren't all speaking the same language. So they wanted to have a consensus of, periodontal classification for disease but also implants so the fact that we have those three classifications of health mucositis implantitis I think is great because it allows us all to be speaking the same language which is fantastic and from that it then means that hygienists and therapists know where they're working towards they can have protocols in place and they can then you know educate patients and also treat disease so I think it has moved a lot and it's I think it's only going to be a good thing for it to happen even more for hygienists and therapists to be used in helping treat implants, not just periodontists, but having hygienists involved. And I think that the fact that hygienists and therapists are looking at, you know, gums and perio and implants constantly, they they are really well trained in that. And the fact that there's a lot more courses, a lot more education um, is only a good thing. So I think that it has changed and I'm really hoping that it continues to change mm-hmm. because I think that we are not just known as people that provide a scale and polish anymore. Mm-hmm. That's the way we want it to go. 
um, because we now know a lot more about systemic health um, and, and general health for patients with, with um, perio problems and with implant problems, that's where we can actually use our skill set to help patients to move forward. And have you found that there's been a, there's a difference between patients who suffer with, uh, for example, traditional periodontal disease and patients who are suffering with periimplantitis, for example? Have you found that there is a difference in the level of their motiv- motivation and how compliant they are with the advice that you give them? Have you found that there's a difference between them or not really? Yeah, so do you mean patients that have previously had periodontal disease that go on to get implants or like the two separate groups? Two separate groups. So if you were to compare somebody who has periodontal disease or somebody who has a perimplantitis, um, have you found there's a difference in the different groups of patients? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I think that people that have implant disease are a lot more motivated Mm -hmm. because they, you know, not necessarily because this implants, you know, is a last chance for them, but I think that they they have spent a lot of money on something. They've spent a lot of emotional attachment to that. Mm-hmm. You know, losing an implant or the thought of losing an implant is really big for patients. So mm-hmm. I think that they, as soon as they know that there's an issue, um, they are definitely more motivated to try and get that sorted um, as a general rule. But there's obviously outliers to that. But in the main, I think people with periodontal disease, especially if it's been kind of an ongoing chronic mm-hmm. thing for a long time, they just get quite used to this is something I've got and they just come in and see us and we do our cleaning and then they leave. Whereas I think with implant disease, I think those patients are definitely more motivated and they want to work more with you to to stop anything progressing further. Mm -hmm. And what do you do um, on a day-to-day practical level to motivate your patients, educate them and motivate them, whether it's to do with implants or otherwise? Um, We know that, you know, obviously patients can be different, some of them are more compliant than others. But what do you usually do to help educate them and and motivate them? And obviously these patients are hopefully ones that you are seeing over a long period of time. You are seeing them regularly checking and seeing if they've improved or or if their situation has declined. Um, So what would be your advice and what do you do on a day-to-day basis to motivate and educate them? So... One of the big things that we do um, in the clinic that I work in is when someone gets an implant placed, uh, whether it's a single implant or whether it's full mouth rehabilitation, we will see that patient preferably on the same day that they've had the implant fitted. Um, And I think that's something that's really important because we are trying to emphasise to that patient how important their home care is for the success of the implant. And so if we see them really quickly, so if we can't see them on the same day, it might not always logistically happen. We always try to do it within the next week or so. And I think that really emphasises to the patient how important that oral hygiene side is. Whereas if we leave them a few months, they've went away not really knowing how to look after it. And the dentists are very good at, when they place an implant in the nurses, giving them instructions. But a lot of the time after surgery, they maybe don't take it in, they don't listen, or it just kind of washes over them. So... I think that first thing of seeing them as soon as possible after the implant or implants are fitted really makes the patient realise, right, this is quite important. They're actually seeing me. The fact we do it complimentary, I think, is a really nice service to do as well. It's just all part of the treatment. And that whole visit, I just spend going over with them how I want them to look after that implant or those implants. So it's very bespoke and tailored to, obviously, the individual patient. So, you know, sometimes it'll be floss, sometimes it'll be TP, sometimes it'll be a water flosser. It just depends on the actual implant and also how, you know, how the patient will cope with the, the regime at home. So I think that's the first thing is seeing them really quickly. Um, 
After that, you know, I do emphasize to them how important it is that they look after their implant and the implant. So I say to them, you know, you will never get a decay around this implant, but you can get gum disease around it. Um, and when that happens, it happens really quickly um, and it can lead to you losing the implant. And it's, it's not something that they want to hear when they've just had all this treatment done, but it's something that the dentist tells them from the very beginning. They know the risks, they know everything. So you have to be almost quite direct with them just so that they've get, they, they're under no doubt that this can happen. Um, so doing that with them and just because I do um, use the GBT protocol, I use the same protocol for teeth as I do implants. So we use the GP, GBT protocol. And what's so good about that is it's very heavily oral hygiene based because you're after your assessment, you're disclosing that patient and highlighting any bacteria. And then from there, doing your oral hygiene. So from the very beginning, I have all my patients in with that protocol so that they know that it's very heavily based on this is what you need to do at home. And then I will look after your, your implants and surgery, but you need to, it's, it's heavily on that person. I agree that it's just about motivating the patient and just letting them know how important this is because obviously I think patients it's just like when adults have orthodontics adults that have had um, braces as a teenager never wore their retainers and then when they have to pay for Invisalign it's then that they realize how important this is and how valuable it is and I think it's the same with implants once you've lost a tooth for whatever reason um, and you've invested obviously it's not a particularly nice procedure to have done and it can be quite expensive so I think once they go through that they realize the importance of it and it's very very important to reinforce that actually this implant is not indestructible you still have to look after it and just like you can lose a tooth you can lose the implant so I think that's a really good touch and it's a good um, um, plan to see them on the same day have you found that that um, makes them more inclined to come back and have regular hygiene visits and improve their oral hygiene yeah definitely I think that you you know I've always I always like to have a good relationship with my patients as well I think that's a massive part of our success as a clinician is to have you know you can be really good at your job but you if you don't communicate well with the patient or you don't get on well with them you know you don't have that rapport they may not come back so I've always felt that that's something that's really important so I do get to know the patients well um, and spend quite a bit of time chatting to them and when they've had their their implants seen them that same day or as soon as possible and again just chatting to them I ask them you know how did you find getting your implants how was the journey um, you know, you, do you feel it's all been worth it? I chat to them about it and let them talk about it, which is something that's probably going to be the last few years I've done because before that I would just kind of get them in, get on with the visit, you know, this is what you need to do, here's your floss. But actually, you know, as I've worked more, I've realised that patients like to talk about how the journey they've went through, they like to feel important and so they should because it's something very important to us and you know, I was saying to somebody that I worked with the other day that I think because in dentistry we do this day to day, we think this is just really routine and normal. Somebody comes in, gets implants, you know, or gets a bridge, and you know, and actually this is a really big thing for these patients. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not day to day for them. So if you let the person talk about their journey, chats them about their family life, everything else, you know, again, it's just shown interest in them, and then they are more inclined to listen to you. So when I, you know, I'm saying to them, listen, I really need you to to look after this you know you can come and see me every two to three months and I'll do whatever I can but in between that time you need to really invest the time and and generally if you do have a good relationship with them and you've you've emphasized that they will listen to you and then again they will come back which you know I need them to come back especially if it's 
you know, we do some all in four implants, you know, we've, we do pteroid implants, we do zygomatics, we do lots of, kind of complex cases. You know, these patients can't go away and, and come back in a year. They need to, we need them to be coming in to see me every few months so to see if there's any issues. So we do need that relationship and we need the patients to listen to us, hopefully. And, you know, there'll always be people that won't, unfortunately, won't listen or don't come back. But you really hope that the majority will come back. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I completely agree with you in that we can get in the mindset of because obviously this is something we do every day. This is stuff that we say every single day. We can kind of, and I speak for myself when I say this, I know not everybody is like this, but you can almost become a machine, a robot of saying the same things and not truly appreciating what it means for the patient. And I only realize this whenever it's time for me to go and have my hygiene visit. And I realize just how unpleasant it is and just how much of a vulnerable situation you're in when you're laying back in the chair, you don't know what's going on. And yeah. all you're hearing are these unpleasant sounds, you know, the smell isn't particularly nice and it doesn't yeah. feel nice. And if you don't know what's going on, it can be quite scary and daunting. So every time I have my own treatments, it I have a newfound appreciation for patients and it just makes me speak to them a bit more as humans because I think we put up this um, professional barrier that we yeah. need to have to some extent uh, but equally you still need to treat that person as a person that you just met anywhere else outside of your professional setting you know have a chat with them how's their journey in and yeah just because obviously the, these are people you're going to be hopefully seeing regularly it really yeah. helps make a difference if you get to know them and they trust you more and this is something I found recently so whenever I spend a bit more time getting to know the patient, the uptake of treatment is actually a lot better because I could be talking to them about anything for, you know, I, I'm quite lucky I get to have um, long examination sessions. So I go through everything. I scan all of my patients and show them everything on the scanner, for example. And I talk to them about everything. Don't necessarily say you need this kind of treatment, but I would say this is what we would recommend because, you know, I show them everything. And once they understand it, mm -hmm they will um, um, understand the need for the treatment as well. It's not about us forcing them. They appreciate the value of it. So I think really communicating with patients in any capacity, whatever treatment we are doing, is a really, really big crucial part of the whole process. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting because my, like what you were saying about if you go undergo treatment and apart from getting like, I do ear flows and stuff in my teeth, I see colleagues that do GBT, uh, fellow trainers, and I get, but I've not actually had a lot of other dental treatment. Yeah. But my husband actually recently got implants placed and um, it all went really well, it was fantastic. But actually listening to his journey and just his feedback of everything, you know, coming into the clinic and what he felt. And it was really interesting just seeing it from that other side, as you say, if you've not went through it yourself and it, him kind of talking to me, because I did, he got the same, you know, he came to the clinic as a normal patient, but he got the same complimentary visit with me. I went over his own hygiene. Um, and, you know, he was, when he was kind of giving me the, the feedback, I was thinking, you know, I maybe don't actually spend enough time talking to them about those other things. And I know when it's your, it's, if it's your husband or a family member, you probably just kind of rush through things a bit. But it did actually make me realise what patients go through. And, and just the whole, as you see, the whole experience, sitting in the waiting room, what they feel, even if they're not anxious about it. There's a lot of emotions there, so it's it has made me really think about, you know, my complimentary visits that I do with the patients and just changing that up and just the, the awareness of what you're saying to patients a lot of the time. And it, it does make them, you know, as you say, they, they listen to you more, the uptake of treatment's better. And, you know, hopefully they will listen to your advice about oral hygiene as well if they respect you and they think they get on with you rather than just 
as you said, like a robot that just gives out information and they leave. Because that's, you know, it is, that's our job. So yeah. you could treat it a bit robotic, but if we are more personable, it definitely makes it, you know, it's also more enjoyable for us as well, isn't it? So Yeah, and you know, we always talk about speaking to patients in layman's terms when it comes to, you know, technical issues to do with teeth. And with me recently going through all of this process of setting up a practice and speaking with builders day in, day out, speaking to engineers that I don't know anything, you know, with conversations that go over my head completely, it's just made me realize how to phrase things to patients differently. Mm-hmm. You know, my builders would be telling me about some plumbing issue or whatever, and I don't understand any of it. And in my head, I'm thinking, just tell me if it's fixable or not and what you need me to do and it's just made me realize when I'm in clinic you know my patients don't understand the things that I'm saying in terms of here's a radiolucency on the next ray it means this that they just want to know if it's fixable and what they need to do yeah um, so it's just made me change my approach and I think that's a that's a really positive thing for us to be continuously monitoring how we speak to our patients and and how we can change that to, to make their experience better and the whole thing more productive yeah absolutely yeah so in terms of um, what your hopes are for the, for the next few years in this, I mean, we've spoken about how things have changed from the traditional scale and polish model of um, hygiene and therapy, you know, with things coming out like GBT, um, which is a, a very important um, tool that we use, and it's a, it's a very good system. Um, what are your hopes for the future in um, hygiene and therapy, particularly to do with implant care? Yeah, so with with GBT, I would hope that more patients, more practitioners, sorry, you know, use it, get to know about it. Um, and, you know, for me, my involvement with GBT initially started with implants. So I got a near full handy, so I didn't even have the full system, which is a handy. And it was just to treat implants because we were seeing so many, so many implants. And I quickly could see the benefit of for treating implants and for any problems or and also for maintenance, how helpful it was. So... For me, I I would like more hygienists and therapists to know about GBT, and that's why obviously we have courses and we're training people in that. We have the summit coming up in Manchester next month, so for more more awareness for for people to know what's out there, and not it's about making it better for patients, obviously, but it's also about what's making it better for us. So I speak to loads of hygienists and therapists at courses, and when it comes up to implants, they they are nervous about implants. And a lot of people don't feel they have the necessary training. So they don't feel that confident in implant maintenance. Whereas, you know, I would say to hygienists today, because you're really confident treating teeth, but you don't feel the same with an implant. Like they're scared to, to treat an implant because they're worried they're going to cause damage. So I'd like the next few years for people to gain in confidence with, with implant maintenance so that they feel comfortable, the same confidence they have with teeth. And I think a lot of that also comes down to training of students. I think there's implants as a whole hopefully we'll get there'll be more information out there for students as they're training and um, because I know when I trained it, it it was quite lacking there wasn't really a lot of information there so I think continuing to get students a lot more awareness um, and really just like what we've said of moving away from that scale and polish model which we're already starting to do I think will be great so we do know systemic and lifestyle factors have a, a big difference and for me I'm really quite keen on talking to my patients about things like stress, things like sleep. So, you know, I will speak to patients about things like those things that, you know, if a young patient comes in and they're all of a sudden losing their teeth and you're kind of looking at them, they don't smoke, they've not got any genetic factors, they've got no diabetes and 
all of a sudden there's problems it's trying to look at the bigger picture and think is there other things that could be going on like how stressful is their life do they sleep and when you ask these patients questions generally you find that they've got a really stressful life they don't sleep well and the, all these other factors do affect things so for me that's what as all the healthcare professionals we can provide for patients we can actually not just do a scale and polish for them we can actually affect their general health and we can also get them thinking about lifestyle factors, which isn't only going to benefit their oral health, it's going to benefit other things in their life. So for me, I think it's quite exciting that we can be part of that um, and just, you know, change people's mindset and, and their actual general health. Everything you're saying with relation to not sleeping and having so much stress in their life, it affects everything, doesn't it? I, I now have yeah. to worry about losing my teeth as well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, like a massive, like any of you speak to anybody that knows me that I absolutely love sleep and I'm not good when I get sleep. So, um, and I've become a bit fascinated with it through, you know, just looking at what the effects, and it does, like you see, it affects so many things. So we don't sleep, all the different factors that affect. So, but one of the biggest things years ago I read was just the, the, how high our cortisol levels stay when we're not sleeping. It's the same when we're stressed and obviously stress and sleep go hand in hand. But, um, when our, when our cortisol levels stay high, then we've got inflammation and what's periodontal disease or implant disease is inflammation. So it's, it, it does affect, and we can't, you know, I can't change how you sleep. I can't change, you know, you've, everybody's got to do it for themselves. And often you can't, if you're in a certain way of life, you've got a lot of stress in your life. You do go through phases of not sleeping or not sleeping as well. But I just think patients being armed with that information is actually really good because you know, I think people speaking to patients, they go to their GP um, and uh, speaking to them about different health conditions and generally, and it's not this is not a sweeping generalisation because there'll be lots of GPs that do, but some will not ask them, you know, how do you sleep or what is your stress levels like? We're, we're, we're kind of in that zone of just looking at all the factors and then maybe giving them sleeping pills or, give, mm. you know, so I think that in, in dentistry, we've actually got the unique thing of if we have the time, and like you said, you've got if you've got slightly longer appointments, you know, not just using that time just to spend doing treatment in their mouth, actually spending time speaking to the patient and listening to what they're telling you and looking at the bigger picture and, you know, actually give them some information or give them some help that can actually help them in their life. Yeah, I think this whole um, systemic manifestations of stress and the link to you know, your oral health and all of that is just coming out. And I think we're all now just realizing just how much of an impact there is and, and what a correlation there is between stress and other systemic things going on with your oral health. So I think it's important for us to reinforce that, reiterate that to, to our patients, because even I didn't know sleep can affect your mouth. So now I have another thing to worry about. Because <laughs> <laughs> that'll only stress you, so don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. What's your secret for sleeping well? Off, off topic, but just any tips for sleeping well? <laughs> Don't have a stressful life. <laughs> yeah, don't have a stressful life. Um, I mean, I'm one to talk because I've actually recently moved house and I've not. I've been quite stressed, so I've not slept <laughs> well. Um, so, but generally, um, there's a book called The Circadian Code by Dr. Sachin Panda, which you might have heard of. And um, he, I've always been a good sleeper, but my husband was always not the best of sleepers. And then sometimes, with having after having kids and having a busy life, you know, you, you go through phases, and sometimes you wake up during the night and you can't get back to sleep and so anyway, read this book. It's all about our circadian rhythm. So it's all about how our bodies are set up that 24-hour clock, but the way that you can reset it. So some people speak about that they're just night owls and there's no way they can change that. You know, I've got friends are like, you know, I, I'm just not a, 
I'm not a morning person. I have to stay up for like one, two in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then I struggle to go up during the day. So he basically is essentially saying that you you are a certain way. It's the way you're made generally, but you can change it. So he sets out ways you can change it. And when you look at other books in sleep, because um, I've read quite a few of them, that essentially you need to just change that circadian code. So first thing in the morning, get yourself out into the, the light. So you want to just get outside if it's bright sunlight. You only need like 10 to 15 minutes. Um, so there's people that just go out in their garden and just look up at the sky. Just get the light in your eyes. If it's a cloudy day, you need about half an hour. But basically, you're setting your body that that's setting that code, setting the circadian rhythm so that your body knows that's light and that's a start in the day. And then the rest, you're supposed to not wear sunglasses for the morning. So a lot of people will put your sunglasses on, walk about the city. It's recommended you don't. So keep as much light in your eye in the morning, but then from the afternoon, that's time to put your sunglasses on. And then from the evening, you want to keep as minimal light as possible. So not have bright lights on, not be on screens. So it's actually loads of it is to do with the light that you get into your eyes makes a massive difference to sleep. Um, So there you go. (laughs) If you want (laughs) circadian code, obviously watching things like caffeine, um, different things like that after 12. So I'll only have decaffeinated after 12 o'clock. Um, so various things but yeah honestly um, all I things could, I cannot do <laughs> yeah I could talk about sleep all day I should actually that's what I should have done I should have went into something <laughs> Hi, thank you so much Louise yeah. for such a wonderful chat I know we veered off course slightly but um, it's amazing to hear what you're doing and I'm, I'm glad to hear that we are changing for uh, the better in, in the way that we practice and thank you so much for joining me today no problem. Thank you very much for having me. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully learned a few things. I know I certainly did. And as always, don't forget to let me know what you thought of this episode. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Dr. Shadi Manucheri. I always love hearing your responses. And if you have any requests for future podcast episodes, please let me know there. I do usually listen if there are specific requests that are quite popular. As always, there will be a new episode every week. So please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode. And I can't wait to speak to you soon.